Hello there, and welcome to Business of Design, episode 228, with a friend of mine that I haven't seen in a few years. Does that ever happen to you? You realize, why haven't I talked to this person? Doing the podcast, I realized I really miss this woman. She's funny. She's smart. Her name is Kathy Buckworth. Kathy is an award-winning professional writer. She's a spokesperson. She's a content creator. And she's a media personality. Emphasis on the personality. Big personality. She is also the author of six nonfiction books. So you know why I reached out to her, right? Including... I am so the boss of you, an eight-step guide to giving your family the business. Great title, right? Her books have been translated into Chinese, Indonese, Indonese? That's not even a language. Oh my God. Her books are so popular, they've been translated into languages that don't even exist. Kathy's also a two-time winner of the Professional Writers Association of Canada Award for Excellence in Humor. And she's the recipient of the Mississauga Arts Award for Established Literary Arts. She has recently, though, completed her second novel, and she's working on her second screenplay. That's pretty impressive. When I met Kathy, she was a mom influencer and a broadcaster, really well-known in the parenting genre, in the parenting market for a couple of decades. Recently, though, she's become a grandmother, and she has transitioned seamlessly into the go-to grandfluencer all across Canada. So you see her on TV all the time. When she's not writing, she's making some TV appearance or she's jumping on a friend's podcast to catch up. I asked Kathy to be on the podcast because we've had a couple of Business of Design members talking about wanting to write a book. I thought, let's get some advice from someone who's had nonfiction books published in the traditional way so she can talk about not only what to do if you have an idea and how you take care of that idea, feed it and grow it, but also how do you get it published either traditionally or self-published. It's an informative and a practical episode. Kathy's hilarious, so you will enjoy meeting her. And I also learned a new term that describes how I write. I am a pantser, meaning I fly by the seat of my pants. I never start with an outline, and for some people that would be sacrilege, but for me, an outline just blocks me in and I can't do it. So thank you, Bucky, for the new term I learned. And Bucky is a ridiculous nickname I'm not supposed to ever use, but she can't talk back right now because I'm alone doing announcements. She'll probably tweet uh, my nickname. I think it's Kimmy. I don't even know. I can't remember because I blocked it. It's too painful for me. Thinking back to Kathy's tenure as a mom influencer, jogged my memory about this audio message I received just around Mother's Day. I reached out to Cheryl and said, hey, what happened to that message from Lauren? A Business of Design member reached out around Mother's Day with an audio message that had to do with my daughter, Raleigh. This is Lauren of Lauren Fay Interiors in Pennsylvania. Hey, Kimberly. I had a funny coincidence story happen today. I was talking with my mom and my younger sister. She's three years younger than me. 
my sister lives and works out in LA and she was telling us this funny story that at work there's this guy that's been calling her the wrong name for over a year and she thinks it's the person who had the job before her and she said yeah this guy keeps calling me Raleigh and my sister's name is Rachel so immediately my thought was wow Raleigh is a really unique name and I know that Kimberly's daughter's name is Raleigh because you shared that with us on the show. And so I asked my sister, do you know the last name of the person who worked before you? And she said, Selden, I think. And I couldn't believe it. My jaw hit the floor. And I said, no way. That's my design fairy godmother's daughter. So it's such a small world. My sister works in the PR marketing department. And, um, yeah, I guess, uh, your daughter had the same job before my sister did. So just a funny story. I hope your daughter is, is happy in her new career where she is. And I just wanted to share that story with you because it's, it's such a small world and I hope you have a great mother's day. Is that not hilarious? Oh my gosh. So to work for an A-list celebrity, you need to sign extensive non-disclosure agreements. So we just thought it would be better to bleep out the name of the celebrity. It's definitely someone you would know. By all means, follow Lauren at Lauren Fay Interiors or Raleigh at Raleigh.Selden, and you will probably be able to pick up some clues. Anyway, super funny coincidence. And for the record, Raleigh has heard nothing but nice things about Rachel when she stays in touch with the old friends she worked with. Thanks for sharing that, Lauren. It really made me smile. And by the way, please feel free to send me an audio message if you've got something to share on the podcast. We would love to include you. Now, I'm going to pick up the very loose and tenuous thread of motherdom that this episode is following, one of my favorite moms with two adorable kiddos, Macy and Madden, which are just the best names, don't you think? Cheryl Horn. Cheryl, you didn't give me extra homework this week. And I got to say, I was pretty happy because I have some clients who uh, are feeling uh, a little bit ignored. <laughs> I know you've been so busy with design clients and, you know, getting the uh, the contracts ready for, uh, for our members for the business of design community. So they came out last week. So that must have felt like a huge thing off your plate. Honestly, it's, it's huge because it was not a simple polish. It really, they're really different from top to bottom. Not, I would say, let's take them one at a time. The hourly fee contract isn't substantially different, although there are some things that are totally, absolutely different. Uh, if you if you purchased the hourly fee contract before, you wouldn't have to upgrade to the new hourly fee contract. Um, you, you might want to, though, because it's more seamlessly integrated using the 15 steps. It's much more clear. The language is much more clear. It's more logical. And there are some improvements. The flat fee contract, I have to say, is really quite different because it's seven or eight years younger than the hourly fee contract. And so I've had seven or eight more years now to work with it and realize what was missing. And a lot of it's just the logical progression of the project. So it's not just about purchasing the contract. It's actually 
it, if you follow along, it teaches you how to run the entire project from top to bottom, that contract does. And it, of course, it protects you and all those wonderful things. I just, it's a lot more succinct. And uh, in particular, the flat fee is pretty different, I would say. It's, uh, it's, it is definitely new and improved. Well, one of the things I always emphasize about the contracts as with our operations manual and the other uh, documents in the BOD shop, because I get this question a lot, people who, you know, they're longtime podcast listeners, that sort of thing, they're familiar with business of design, but they're not yet members and they want to start with the contracts or, you know, start with one of those other documents. And what I always emphasize is that the contracts support all of the systems, strategies, and procedures that we teach within business of design membership. And if you're going to use a contract, you need to follow the contract. It's not just for your clients to follow. You need, those are your rules. Those are your guidelines that you're putting forward for your client. You need to know what every single one of those policies mean and actually be doing it in your business. So if you're already using the BOD 15, uh, you're using our um, the billing and collection policy for your hourly um, for your hourly fees and your flat fees. Um, this is going to support every single one of those systems. Let's put it in writing in um, clear language for your clients, but it supports the systems that you're are, you've already implemented in your business and you're using. That's the important thing. You can't <laughs> use the contract if you're not already using the systems. Well, and you can't can, use it effectively. Right. You can't go. The, uh, the purchase of the contract is not going to save your floundering business. And that happens sometimes. People are in a panic. I'm going to buy the contract. Everything is going to be different. It's not going to be different. You have to change the systems. It is an inside job and the contract is protects uh, the systems once they're in place. That's a really good point. Yeah. We, we discourage a lot of people from buying the contract when we see someone that doesn't know us at all. We're like, hey, you, let's start with a month of membership and uh, let's let's take it from the beginning. And that's one of the reasons why we have such a great um, member preferred pricing on all of the, the products in there because these, the contracts, the operations manual, everything, they're designed for members and we don't want it to make sense for you to purchase those without already being a member. So um, of course, for the contracts, they're $6.95. If you're not a member, you're going to save $300 if you are already a member. Um, And of course, membership's only $129 each month. So it doesn't make sense not to be. And of course, because so many people have already purchased the contract, you've already received an email from me and you're already sorted out and you know this. But if you purchased the contract this year in 2021, you're automatically upgraded to the new ones. And if at any other time you purchase the contract, you're going to be able to upgrade to the new ones for $95. So we know that you've already you know, invested in these, you're using them in your business, and we want you to have uh, the latest version to do that. Yes, we do. I love that. I love that about business of design. We know our members. These are our people. These are our friends. So we want to take care of you. And you certainly have taken care of us through the years. And uh, it was a lot of fun getting that off my to-do list and out into the world. And I have to say, I've used uh, the new version a couple of times now, and I it was quite good. I like that the clients are like, okay, I get it. Let's go. Yeah. And that's one of the things, the contracts have been ready for a while, but you needed to then test them out on several projects of your own before we were comfortable making them uh, available. So they are alive. They are available in the BOD shop. All of the different pricing options are laid out there for you as well. But of course, if you've got any questions, you can always reach out to me as well. Thank goodness for you, Cheryl. Thank you so much. I, uh, I will, uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you. You're not going to give me too long off. I know that. I can feel it coming. The next, what do you call it? Up, 
up delegating. What do you call it? Delegate up. Delegating up. Yeah. Delegating is, up. She's a master at <laughs> delegating up. So I can feel it. I know it's coming, but I, I appreciate the radio silence uh, while I catch up with projects. No problem. Well, good luck with all of that. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. We have the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to consistently satisfy clients, increase profitability, and run your projects like a boss. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to hundreds of targeted training modules, plus member perks like BOD Live events, member-only podcasts, preferred pricing, and the support of an engaged community of peers. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Kathy Buckward, what's your name again? <laughs> my good friend, what's your name? Yeah, my good friend, Kathy Buckworth. I got it right this time, right? Yay. Oh my gosh. I shouldn't know your name. I haven't seen you in I don't know how many years. How many years has it been? Oh my gosh. Five? I'm guessing. Yeah. Like, a while. It's been wild. Three COVIDs is what I'm going with. <laughs> three pandemics. I haven't seen you three pandemics. I miss you. It's, I miss you too. It's been, well, how's that? It's been so long that I'm uh, twice over grandma right. so, since the last time I saw you, right? That's a thing. I'm starting to mm-hmm. be pretty jealous. I have two bulldogs, a Frenchie and an English that I'm a grandmother to. St- strikingly, they look like the family. So that's the thing. That's okay. <laughs> kind of look like their grandma. So that's cool. Uh, but it has been a long, long time. In the meantime, you've managed to write, I don't know, 107 books in the last <laughs> few years. Tell everybody how many books you've written and then break them down for I, us, fiction and nonfiction. Sure. Okay. So yeah, nonfiction uh, started with uh, so six six non nonfiction uh, parenting books. And actually the last one I wrote on that side of the game was uh, probably almost about eight years ago. And that was, I am so the boss of you giving your family the business, um, which is about how to manage your family, like a business. And, uh, at that point, my kids were like, you know, mid teens and early twenties. And I felt that it sort of run the bar- the parenting, you know, gambit there. So I thought, well, I could move into writing about teenagers, but Ooh, that's, you know, that's pretty deep. Ooh, um, and, and, and then I thought I wanted a break from that. So I actually, uh, started writing fiction. So I have written two novels. Uh, both are not published. One is with my agent and she's shopping and it's called Mother Blogger, um, which is about the mom blogging business, uh, which I had a bird's eye view to for many years. And the second one is called Being a Mom Can Be Murder, which someone dies. It's very my daughter saw the title Ooh. on my folder and said, is it fiction, mom? And I'm like, what do you think? But anyway, yes, it's fiction. So Being a Mom Can Be Murder. And then I actually, and I'm sort of, I finished writing it, but I'm early on in the editing process myself on that one. And then I took a screenwriting class when just before the pandemic hit, I signed up for an in-person U of T screenwriting class. Um, And I I think I made it to about three or four in-class sessions. And then we went online and my whole family moved into my house, like my four children, their spouse, uh, everybody. So I had to drop it. So I let that lie for uh, six months or so. And then I picked it up again. And I've since finished one script 
which again is with my agent. Um, and I am 90% finished a, a second one. And I have been enjoying that style of writing more than anything I've ever enjoyed. I'm um, so excited for you. That is really yeah. something else. When you write a screenplay for something or when you write yeah. a script for something, you're writing it for a specific TV show. Actually, I wrote uh, the ones that I'm writing are features. So it's not for a specific TV show. It's my it's a feature that I'm writing. Uh, uh, I see as more of like a Netflix movie, um, not a series. I have too short an attention span to do a series arc, I've decided. So um, <laughs> the first one. Uh, the first one I wrote is called Hello, I'm Right Here. And it's about a 50-year-old woman who feels invisible. And guess what? Poof, she becomes invisible. Um, and the implications that that has in her life. And she gets to spy on people and of her ex-husband and stuff. And it's very fun. So um, it's really a light sort of... Um, comedy I actually passed it through a few friends of mine who are actresses in their 50s and they loved it which was a great thing for me to hear we don't hear enough of these stories and so I wanted to, I didn't see the as they say if you don't see the story write the story right so there you go so I wrote it um and then my next one which you would probably find uh even more fun is about um morning television so that's the one I'm working on right now which is a lot of fun so oh, I'm sort of yeah. really happy all right. So yeah. when these when these are picked up, I want a part in the morning television thing. That's the thing, right? You just give your friends part. That's right. Parts? Is that a thing? That's right. You could be you could be, I don't know. You could be a designer. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah. I know, can I have an alcohol problem? Because I feel like that's kind of where we're and headed. And you? I don't yeah. know. If I if we, if we don't get out of this lockdown soon, that's where we're headed. Kathy, so incredible. You're just, you, obviously, you have so much energy, so much talent. And there are people listening to this podcast thinking, you know, eight books, I think so far I've counted and a couple of scripts. Mm -hmm. How on earth do you write one it's, you know, it's such a, I get asked that question all the time. And before I wrote my first book, I kept thinking the same thing. And, I, and just for context, I wrote my first book when I was on maternity leave with my fourth child. So I had about 20 minutes a day to write. So I quickly got rid of the assumption that you had to lock yourself in a cabin, you know, for a weekend right. and look out at a lake and write book. Um, and I, and I, and I wrote that way for many years. I remember thinking when my youngest went off to kindergarten, I remember thinking, Oh, I'll have like all day to write. Well, I, I can't like I write in 20, 30 minutes spurts. That is just how I write. And I think we don't know how we write until we start trying. So that's sort of the number one advice is just sit down. I mean, they joke about the you know, success in writing is all about butt in chair, right? So get your butt in a chair and start writing that, that there's no bigger secret than that. Writing is just as hard for, uh, an established writer as it is for someone who's never sat down and written before. So you don't know until you start writing. I know that sounds stupid and condescending and I don't mean it that way. It's like, you really don't know until you start writing. And some people write with outlines and some people just write what comes. I'm what they call, my agent calls it pantser, meaning I write by the seat of my pants. I often don't have an outline or don't know where I'm going. I just let it take me. Um, but a lot of people need, you know, the, the, the outline to go along with that. And, and so everyone's got a different style of doing it. So you won't know what that is until you sit down with your laptop and start tapping away. I never heard that expression before. I'm a pantser. I didn't realize that. I hate when people say, well, give me an outline. Pantser. Well, yeah. I'll have an outline when I write it. I don't know. <laughs> How am I going to have an outline before yeah. I write it? That's crazy. Right. So you're, a pantser, 
your pants are too. So yeah, it's a technical term. <laughs> right, exactly. All right. And that's, that's yeah. what we want to know, the inside technical terms. Okay, so, so right. how then do you know if you have an idea that's worthy of writing? Okay, that's a great question. So sometimes I say, I mean, especially with the parenting, because I was writing the beginning, I think this is a whole book. And then I would say, oh, no, it's a paragraph. <laughs> or other times I would think, well, that's something I want to put into a book. And I'm like, no, that is the whole book. So again, it's one of the things you sort of find out when you're writing it. If you're not sure yourself, you really do have to share your writing ideas with other people. And of course, I think, well, they'll steal my idea. No, they won't steal your idea. No one can steal your book. You're the only one that can write your book. And honestly, if somebody else does write a book that's similar to yours, it's what we call a genre and people read more than one books in a genre. You don't ever just read one parenting book or one, right. you know, fictional novel about World War II. Girl, girl so, on the Train, Girl on the Train and right. Gone Girl. Yep. That's a genre, right? Yeah. And and that genre is still strong, I think, today. So you can tell by the, the look of the covers. So, you know, so share your writing ideas, bounce them off people, um, just your family if you want. Uh, but if you know someone's just going to be, you know, nice to you all the time, don't go to them as much. I go to my kids because they're mean. I'm just kidding. But, right. you know, or or. Your friends, and actually when I wrote my first novel, I really was like, is this any good? Like that's totally different than the other stuff. So I sent it out to about six friends of mine to read. One was a playwright, so she knew dialogue. You know, one um, had written novels, so she knew novels. One was just an avid reader. So I thought and I, we liked reading the same things. One was my daughter, whom again, I knew would be pretty honest with me, right? So I sent it to a bunch of different sort of types of readers and took all of their feedback um, and incorporated it and then worked with a professional editor. But, you know, it's like you don't know until you put it down on paper and have someone read it. Um, I would encourage people who've never written anything in their lives to perhaps consider entering writing contests. Not ones you have to pay money for or anything like that. You know, there's CBC ones, there's different ones like that. Um, because you will get sometimes some constructive feedback on them. You'll have a deadline, which is key for writers because we're all like one day. So you need the deadline. And then also you, you could win or you could come in, you know, and get that validation for your writing. So writing contests are a good way to do that. But also just, you know, write, um, start your own blog if you want to and write and ask people for opinions on it. You know, your writing style is something that will come through in the first few hundred words. You don't need to write a whole book to figure out if you've got what it takes to put it on paper. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to share, I guess is what I'm saying. And sharing it is scary, as we know, but it's the only way you're going to get any any feedback. When you do get that feedback, how resistant are you to the edit suggestions? When I was working with, you know, my publisher uh, and they, their editors came back, I took their suggestions obviously very, uh, very much to heart and very seriously. And I loved getting edited by them because they knew what they were doing when it, so that was professional editing. Um, when it comes back from sort of, you know, people in my reading circle, I take it seriously, but I'm not afraid to discount it sometimes as well, which is why it's important maybe to have four or five people in your reading circle, because if the same comment comes back five times, guess what? They're probably right. You know, that character doesn't make sense or why did that happen? But if one person sort of has, uh, you know, I didn't like this or the dialogue didn't work for me and it's just them, it might be just them. Do you know what I mean? So um, you've got to sort of take it with a grain of salt. You can't take it personally. Um, and obviously they're coming at it from an objective eye. So you need to take that into account. I like letting my own writing rest for a while. That's called being lazy also sometimes, but <laughs> I say, oh, I'm just resting that. 
<laughs> and I haven't picked up my novel in like six months. It's resting. So, <laughs> but you do come back to it with a different eye, right? When you read it over again. So that can be, that can be helpful as well. Be your own editor in that regard. Um, also, I mean, this is the oldest advice in the world, but if you're a writer, you have to be a reader. You have to read all the time, read books in your genre, read books out of your genre, read everything because you will just automatically absorb what type of, you know, language works, the syntax, spelling, grammar, how to leave someone hanging, um, sentence structure, like those things just, you'll, you'll read it. And you'll, if you're reading, obviously good writers, you'll, you'll absorb all of that. And also if you're reading someone who's writing style, you don't like, um, you'll be able to pick that up too. So that all gets sort of blended into your own writing process. So I can't, sort of emphasize that enough is you have to read almost more than you, well, you should read more than you write for sure. Um, and it's hard right now. I'm a huge reader. And I got to tell you, this pandemic has slowed my reading down big time because I find it hard to concentrate like a lot of people. But once I do it, it it's worth it. So read, read, read <laughs> before you write. Right. Languishing. Is that, did you read that article in the New York Times about languishing? The, the, I did. Yeah, that's it, right? Like just a, a slight lack of attention. My attention span isn't as strong as it was pre-pandemic and it's just anxiety and stress that's done it. So uh, I am going to ask you for some good book recommendations at the end, but I, well, I won't stop the train right now because I want to know if you're setting out to write nonfiction, how aware are you of the person who's going to read the book? Do you define that person as you're writing? Mm-hmm. Oh, d- defining your audience. Um, you know what, when you, when you write for a publisher, now this is not true, of course, if you're self-published and we can get into the differences, but if you're writing for a publisher, they will definitely want to know who your audience is. And in fact, you have to produce a book proposal, which will identify who, are, who your audience is and why are you the right person to write that book. So it makes it, it does put that in your mind. Um, with the parenting books that I wrote, I sort of assumed, and, and hopefully I was right, that what I was going through, of course, uh, most other moms and maybe dads were going through at the same time. So I was writing for, for myself almost, if you know what I mean. Like if I'm feeling this mm-hmm. and a lot of people are. The same, the same I find true maybe for the novels that I'm writing is I imagine myself picking up that book and reading it. And I, and I would think that most writers would feel the same way that what they're writing is the type of book they'd like to read as well. Um, so, and that obviously can c- cross a huge demographic, right? So you don't want to get... Um, too so so much that you're thinking I'm going to make this so commercial everyone's going to love it guess what they're not right everyone's like I don't like for instance I don't enjoy reading science fiction that's a huge market so I would never attempt to write in that market because I would never read it so um, I think defining your audience too narrowly can be a mistake and defining it too broadly can be a mistake just write what you want to write and if you like reading it chances are loads of other people will like reading it too wow okay so two things have you ever read station 11 I have not. Actually. It's 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 under the genre of sci-fi, but I don't. It doesn't feel like sci-fi, and it's a very timely book, and I really right. enjoyed it. It was an easy read, and I loved it. So there's that. If you want to break through that sci-fi thing, uh, in an okay, e- cool. easy yeah. soft way, uh, but. So I guess that was a, it's kind of a silly question. Of course, you're going to write something that you want to read. Like I can't write a book for a 30 year old man because I I right. don't understand them. I can't. How could I possibly write a book that would speak to a 30 year old man? That would that would be a stretch. Yeah, and I agree with that. And it's funny that it's sort of where I stalled on the parenting side of things because I realized that the new parents, in fact, you know, my daughter is a millennial mom. They're very different in the way that they approach. Now I could write a book that's a 
a critique or it's about millennial moms, perhaps. Um, but it wouldn't, then who's that for? Do you know right. what I mean? Like, right. the mom, no, they're not going to read it. And other moms like me aren't necessarily going to want to read. So, you know what I mean? So that, that one sort of stopped in its tracks. Cause I thought, yeah, I, I, I can't go anywhere with that one, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, yeah. Write for yourself. I mean, that's, that's not, again, sounds simple, but it's true. You touched on publishing uh, in the traditional fashion versus self-publishing. What advice would you give, particularly for someone who's thinking they're going to write a decorating book? Oh, good question. Um, so I assume, Kimberly, that a decorating book would include a lot of photography. Right. Um, You're going to tell us that so that's I've very never, expensive, I, right? You're going to tell us that that it is, is very expensive. Yeah. 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 So I've never written a book that's anything but text. So I'll be honest. So I don't, I don't have experience in that, but I would imagine that would be one of the key considerations is the cost of photography, because even with a traditional publisher, some of them will expect you to provide your own photography. Uh, some of them won't, uh, and you know better than me about that. So, um, if you are expected to provide your own photography at any way, I wouldn't, I would think that maybe you would want to consider self-publishing because then you have complete control over it. Um, in terms of just textbook or, you know, words that only contain text like I've written, I've only had so far traditional publishers. Um, so I'm comfortable with that, but I, the self-publishing world has come so far since my first book was published that it's a to- not to- not only a totally viable option, it can be a, a smarter option in a lot of cases. It is very hard to get a publishing deal right now, and it's very hard to make good money with a publishing deal right now. Um, on the other hand, if you go with a traditional publisher, if you're able to get one, if you're able to get an agent who gets you a publisher, you don't have to worry about distribution. You don't have to worry about, you know, does Amazon have it in stock? You don't have to worry um, so much about any of that side of the business the same sales side, you still have to worry about the marketing and PR because you're still expected to do most of that yourself if you are an unknown writer. I'm sure John Gershom doesn't do his own stuff, but the rest of us do. Um, And then on the self-publishing side, of course, you are responsible for the printing of the books, you know, what the cover looks like, getting it out to the, you know, the bookstores that you want to get it to. Um, But then you're getting all the money back for that too. And you can you can publish. There's tons of self-publishers. You can publish on Kindle or Kobo, Amazon right now for free. Yeah. You can go throw your book up there, right? So anyone can do that. It's pretty incredible how far it's come. It's really true. And my experience with talking to publishers and agents about a coffee table book for interior design with big, beautiful photos is there's no money for it. And um, don't do what I did. My very first book, I supplied the writing and the publishers selected the photography. And I do Uh. believe it is the world's ugliest book that has ever been produced. I hide it in shame. (laughs) My big old name on the cover. It's like, oh my gosh. Anyway, don't do that. So the bottom line is it sounds like just about anything else. It's one foot in front of the other. If you think you have an idea that's viable, send it around to friends you know and trust work it until everybody who reads it thinks it's worthwhile. And then if you're going to go for a publisher at that point, seek out the right publisher. That's right. You're exactly right. One step at a time, people get all wrapped up in, did you think I should self-publish? I'm like, well, how much have you written? They're like, well, I haven't written anything yet. <laughs> I'm like, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want, you know, or I have people say to me, you know, 
um, one day I'm, you know, I'm going to write a book and I'm like, are you writing right now? And then I know, and I'm like, well, how's that going for you then? Like, right, it's, right. It, you know, right, right, right now. Um, and you know, in terms of, you know, the self-publishing versus the traditional publisher, I think it's, you know, what's happened to the book industry is what happened to the music industry where before you needed, you know, a recording contract, you needed somebody to sign you, you needed someone to get you in the studio. Now people are being discovered, fabulous people are being discovered on YouTube and doing their own thing. So it's the same, I think, in our, in the publishing world before you needed that traditional publisher and, a, and, and same with television, you know, television stuff we now watch, you know, on streaming services. It's not just three white guys at NBC, ABC and CBS deciding what we watch on Saturday night at eight o'clock and only Saturday night at eight o'clock. It's like it's all changed. Right. So but the important part is getting the work done first, unfortunately. <laughs> no, that's so true. I love. Have you ever heard Margaret Atwood? She says people come up to her all the time and say, "When I'm done, you know, being a surgeon, I'm yeah. going to write a book." And she's like, "Yeah, when I'm done writing books, I'm going to be a surgeon." Like, exactly. Right now, or exactly. anything happening. Exactly. Right. I think it's the it's the number one sort of annoying thing you hear. Besides, you know what you should write about? People say that all the time, and I'm like, "Why don't you? You know, like you've got the great idea." So. Anyway. Oh, but I have one for you. Know what you should write about? You should write about designers. We'd love a book that's a murder mystery and we know who to kill too. Just talk to me about that part of it. <laughs> we know who to kill. We'll just change the name slightly. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> but I want it to be somewhat recognizable. So that would be the satisfaction. <laughs> That'd be so good. <laughs> Kathy, this was really helpful. Thank you so much. We love to end every episode with something we call design intervention. It's just good business advice, something that you kind of lean on on a regular basis. Right, right. Um, so I think, are you asking me for this? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know what it is for me? It's always been, I remember when I was writing my first book, and I remember thinking to myself, um, what right do I have to write a book? And I thought, well, I've got the right to do whatever I want. People don't have to like it, you know? So it's sort of giving yourself permission to do the thing that you want to do. And I will just say that the, the novel, one of the novels that I wrote, I wasn't getting picked up by any publishers. So I threw it up on Amazon and Kindle for free. It's there right now. Mother Blogger is there right now. I'm still trying to find a publisher, but I thought I'm going to put it up there because why am I waiting for permission from someone else to put my book out into the world? And it, and it probably will change format if it gets picked up by a publisher, but it's there now. So give yourself permission to just put stuff out there. Um, don't wait for some, if you can do it without someone else, do it, do it. Just do it by yourself, man. I love it. Thank you so much. Oh, I forgot. I'm going to ask you for some book recommendations. 2020, 2021. What'd you, what have you managed to get through and loved? Uh, lately. So Linwood Barclay, do you know, Linwood Barclay, a great Canadian writer. It used to be a lifestyle writer for, I think the Toronto stars thing many, many, many years ago. Anyway, he's written 22, um, suspenseful thrillers. I just finished his latest one called find you first. Um, I cannot put his books down, even in the midst of everything else going on. I'm also, I like to read, um, some books in between other longer novels. So I'm actually reading the latest David Sedaris right now, because I love David Sedaris so much. And he writes, you know, short stories. Yeah. Ones are easy to intersperse. Very funny him. short story. I love him. I just picked up the Rose Code, which I have not read yet. I got into a bit of a read everything about World War II 
women who decipher codes for a while. Um, there's a bunch of those. Again, a genre, a weird you know, niche genre, but one of those. I'm trying to think um, uh, what else I've been reading. I read a ton on my Kobo, but I've also really tried to get away from every screen now. So I'm buying books again. Doesn't that um, feel good? And I, I'm with you. I it just, does. I just want to pick yeah. that thing up and kind of appreciate the work and effort that's gone into it. Yeah, I'm in the same the same way. So, um, you know, I, I really am a top 10 fiction kind of reader. That's what I really like to read. Um, and so I'm I probably I don't have the list in front of me right now, but I've probably read five out of the ones that are top 10 right now. So that's my that's sort of my go to. I figure if that many people like it, it's going to be good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so, so much for taking time to do this. I really appreciate it. And drinks on a patio in the next five weeks. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community and supporting BOD's mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. It's time for you to take the next step and join Business of Design. Like thousands of design professionals in 50 countries around the world, you'll find the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. What are you waiting for? Start today. Start today.